Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on the 7th of October 2010. Newcomers, look into CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com website. Bookmark the other sites I've got listed there. And if any sites go down, hopefully you can pick one of the other ones to download the latest shows from. And they all carry, remember, a lot of transcripts in English of uh, a lot of the talks I've given. Uh, and if you want talks and transcripts uh, from other languages or in other languages, go into alanwattsentinel.eu and take your pick there, download them, print them up for free. All the rest of them, as I say, have the same uh, ones in English, and they all carry the same audios as well. So remember where you're in there too, that you are the audience that bring me to you, and I depend upon your support. I could go the other way and become very businesslike, and um, I think you tend to get into show business when that happens. And we're not truly out here to push show business. This is not a show. It's uh, it's the greatest struggle that's gone on in history for an awful long time that we're going through right now to try and regain not just some kind of freedoms. People are still trying to get sovereign freedoms back, uh, but we're also losing our individual rights as well. And individuality today is a bad word. The UN said that the worst uh, enemy they have is the individual, the individual who won't belong to the group. So support me by going to the, my website, cuttingthreemates.com, buy the books, the discs, and the DVDs, and so on. And uh, you can also purchase from the U.S. to Canada, remember, with a personal check. And the reason you can do that is because we're all really one country, you see. We have the same uh, dial area codes for both countries. Same with the postal. It's the same thing. Just uh, send a personal check to Canada, and they'll cash it. And you can also send an international postal money order from the post office in the U.S. to Canada. And they cash that here, too. They stop that all across the rest of the world. Can't get them to post them here or cash them. And if you want to order, too, you can use PayPal to donate or to order. If you want to order, send uh, in your order in a separate email with name, address, and the order after the PayPal donation, and I'll get it out to you as fast as I can. Well, we are, you know, going through this simple little phrase we use, this term, uh, a new world order. We're going through the, the new world order. Everybody's saying it, been saying it for years, all the top guys. Anybody at the bottom saying it and parroting them, they laughed at and said, you're paranoid. But now they all, all the biggies use it at their big international meetings. The newspapers use it for headlines until it's a quite a common term that's in use. It's getting kind of passe, in fact, to be honest with you, to call it the new world order. We're kind of past the new world order of that phase, you see, and they're always updating and bringing in new world orders all the time, new, new world orders. And when they end one phase, they go into the next phase. There's actually a transition part between the two as we cross over, leaving the old behind. And since really World War I that was brought in to establish the League of Nations in an attempt to bring about global governance at that time, 
uh, right after they set up the League of Nations, but 1919, I think. And um, America funded all of that, thanks to the taxpayers. And then they brought in the United Nations, a more strengthened League of Nations, after World War II. And even during World War II, the propaganda films they were putting out in the movie houses uh, were calling the Allies the United Nations, getting us all ready for the idea. And after World War II, again, they thought the countries would have enough of this nationalism business uh, because they lost so many lives and so on, so much destruction, that uh, they pushed again for a unified world and to bring up the UN to its full heights as a government, but the public wouldn't go for it. But they got round it in a different way back after these messages. We're back and we're cutting through the matrix. As I say, the New World Order is always ongoing into a new New World Order. And they often use terms like uh, the end of the beginning or the beginning of the end and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, used in many, many speeches, even before Winston Churchill used the same thing. And what they're talking about is uh, the new system, the new system, a push for the new system, which really has always been a goal for centuries for these particular guys but uh, who are involved in making it happen, but they set up the structure to influence the whole world long ago, long, long ago. And sometimes you can go your whole life without ever hearing mention of some of their clubs and their committees, etc., that work ceaselessly to influence public opinion, even in their local areas. And the techniques were discussed by uh, Cecil Rhodes and how to do it to his members, uh, established the Cecil Rhodes Foundation, the Rhodes Trust as well, to to create scholars who would be internationalists and who would find open doors back in their own governments, departments and bureaucracies, high levels. The doors would open and they just walk in and that's what they've been doing across the world for a hundred years. But they also set up other institutions all based on the model which already existed at the early 20th century, and that was the British Empire, which they then called later on uh, the British Commonwealth. It sounds better than empire, since we're trying to get all the countries to join, with uh, free trade being uh, the big baits, of course. And But apart from that, too, they also had to agree to international treaties and gradually bring in the same uh, systems of government. And eventually those governments would be bonded into regions. They had it all planned out when Cecil Rhodes was alive. And he merged his group, of course, with Lord Alfred Milner. Milner was more of the banking dynasties, and uh, he worked for the banks. Uh, His members, mainly, uh, were the sons of bankers. They all went to uh, All Souls College, Oxford, for life, basically. That's where they were lifelong members or fellows of it. And they made much of their world agenda while at those meetings at All Souls, where they met quite regularly. They decided to have wars to bring on uh, catastrophe, and at the same time, their own groups, mind you, who were strategically placed, the rich guys would would walk in, just like Halliburton does today, and grab all the rights and mineral rights, oil rights, whatever rights they would grab their hold of, and they would hold it and become more and more powerful. So they'd own the political arena, they'd own uh, the the affairs of uh, the foreign affairs departments, 
they'd also own the wealth of countries across the world. An, a bigger empire than the one they already had, a global empire, but as I say, they called it a Commonwealth of Nations. And the United Nations itself and the League of Nations admit on their own sites that that's what was modeled uh, after the British Empire or Commonwealth. But they got to work immediately and they set up various clubs for men to join. And again, this is, was an old, much older idea. The idea being that someone who is very influential with power, financial power, would always attract the up-and-coming guys who want to be and get into the right positions, and they would want to join these clubs. And from these clubs, just like masonry, of course, they could select the more abler members to, to join and go into the higher circles of friends. They still use the, the term circles today, uh, circles of influence, they call them. That's where it comes from. And we've all heard of the Council on Foreign Relations that became the American branch of the Royal Institute of International Affairs, which amalgamated the, the Rhodes and Milner Group together into one for the same purpose. But very few folk know there's an American um, uh, committee, committees, American Committees Association on Foreign Relations, set up by the Council on Foreign Relations. And they have their annual meetings and their monthly meetings and so on. And they travel across the world as ambassadors from different places like Chicago, a representative and New York representative. Canada's got their members too. And they influence the people abroad, of course, when they go abroad. But they also hold high positions and back and down home again, either as newspaper editors or owners and that kind of thing. They, have, they are opinion makers for the people to follow. And that's why they're picked and here's an article from their website, and it says the 15th Annual National Conference, since it, since it changed their name, that is. It says the 2010 Annual National Conference was considered by all to be a smashing success. Smashing, just simply smashing. Ambassador H.E. Hussein Akani, who graciously hosted the ACFR of the Pakistan Embassy, ushered in the two-day event on Friday, attendees enjoyed a series of informative and entertaining panels and took part in honouring Dr. Richard N. Haas. You all know who that is, the President on Council on Foreign Relations, as he received the 2010 uh, American Committee's uh, Foreign Relations Distinguished Service Award for the second year in a row. And that's his Honourable Rose Gottemuller, his assistant, Secretary of State, accommodated uh, ACFR, the Franklin Dining Room in the State Department, and spoke to dinner guests about his involvement in nuclear reduction negotiations, or her, I should say, with Russia. And that gives you a list of some of their, their more eminent members. And they're all members of the U.S. government, or ex-members, and they're all to do with integration, really, of the Americas. There's Elliot Cohen, former counselor of the Department of State, Richard Millet, Latin American and Senior Advisor, uh, Gustavo Colonel, uh, International Energy Consultant, Ambassador John Mesto, former rep at the Organization of American States. That's the ones that are really leading the push. With And they're still signing treaties with every government, by the way, to amalgamate the Americas. Sydney Weintraub, Center for Strategic and International Studies. Sydney gets around to a lot of these groups. Uh, Ruth Wedgwood, a descendant of the Wedgwood family, and Charles Darwin, by the way. Uh, she's, she's a NITS School of Advanced International Studies at John Hopkins University. Uh, Jacob Greigel, 
Neitz School of Advanced International Studies, John Hopkins as well, Sebastian Gorka, Institute for Democracy and International Security. So that these are from local, uh, within the states, organizations of committees on foreign relations set up back in 1938 by the Council on Foreign Relations to make sure that everyone gets brainwashed and so on. And one of the guest speakers at it was, well, another another mouthpiece, of course, that gives you your points of view and what you should think and all the rest of it. It says, at its annual dinner meeting in 2009, ACFR represented the NewsHour's Jim Lehrer with its uh, Distinguished Service Award for the Advancement of American Public Discourse on Foreign Policy. In other words, giving them their spin on it. And then it goes on, about, it says, ACFR saluted Jim Lehrer for his advancement of American public discourse and foreign policy. Uh, the doyen of American news anchors, Lehrer has set standards for intelligent news coverage and measured analysis that are rarely met by even his most serious and talented colleagues. I remember when one of the other big American ones retired, and it came up on, uh, on a, a video, uh, a meeting of the World Federalist Association, this guy was a guy who was giving, this other guy was giving you all Americans their opinions right through the Vietnam War and telling you what you should think about it and all the rest of it. Well, internationalists, sworn internationalists, you yeah. know. But um, they get trips across the world and all the rest of it. But when you go into their, their actual websites too to do with what they're all about, it's quite interesting because... It tells you here, in 1995, the ACFR was newly incorporated as a non-profit association dedicated to facilitating debate on international events, primarily as they relate to the formulation and implementation of U.S. foreign policy between Washington and the heartlands of the United States. In their previous life, the committees were affiliated with the Council on Foreign Relations, which, which created them in 1938, to the same ends that the new association affirms. At present, well, that's world government, you see. At present, ACFR is not affiliated with any other entity, but has productive relations with the broadest range of government officials, both U.S. and foreign, and foreign affairs-related think tanks and associations in Washington and beyond. ACFR's national office is located at historic Dakar Bacon House, just west of the White House in Washington, D.C., but they pick their members, and it tells you, if you read through this article here, uh, for, from those, really. And you have, to, you have to be asked to join it. Just That's the way it always is with the, the Royal Institute of International Affairs and CFR. You must be asked to join it. You can't just uh, pay your cash and hope to get in the door. Because you've got to be usable, you see. And before you will be asked to join it, you will be well-tested over a, maybe a few years' period to see if you can keep secrets, keep your mouth shut, uh, what's your weeks the points? Do you get drunk and talk too much? That kind of stuff. And if so, of course, you'll never get in. So they really do vet out these people, and uh, then they invite them to join, as they say. Even tells you here it's been built on a uh, by invitation basis only. However, the programs and other activities of the committees frequently serve broad local and regional audiences and reach out to schools, colleges, and the media. In other words, these guys that you can't go and join are in there making sure that you get the right agenda in school with the right brainwashing and to make sure you have the right idea about globalism, which is the idea that they've authorized. You see? Quite something. 
Most folk, there's so many organizations all working towards this. I've met guys in Canada who belong to the Round Table Society. And, of course, that really means they work at the debating tables after they attend the meetings at the, the Canadian uh, Institute of Foreign Relations. Same, it's the same organization. Every Commonwealth country has its branch. And some of them try to hide their names when they become too popular and people are talking about them too much. But this is the same organization for world government at any cost. And that included, as I say in the past, creating world wars, as Carl Quigley said, to achieve their ends. Because they do believe that the end justifies the means, whatever means possible, necessary to get the job done, to get this result. And I'll put these links up too on my website, cuttingthroughthematrix.com, at the end of the show. We're back and we're cutting through the matrix. I've been watching other countries push the euthanasia bills through, and it's always the same techniques they use, of course, and uh, the same organizations involved have actually got in naturally to their government departments. And um, it's time now. You see, it's time after the meetings I've had with Rockefeller and, the, and all the organizations at the top, at the Lucky Club, for instance, as they call it, where Rockefeller goes and Bill Gates goes. It's amazing when you become a multi-billionaire, you suddenly have this love to kill people off the planet. And, and that seems to be your main concern. There are just too many people. It's never something else. It's always the same thing, isn't it? But of course, they're all fronts. You understand that. Everyone who gets to the top in these organizations, even as a spokesperson or someone on TV that can sway the minds of millions, like Oprah, uh, they all play a part. And it's a part that's made for them. They're well produced. They have producers and handlers and managers and all the rest of it to make sure their image is just right for the audience and all the fools are going to mislead. However, once they get up there, they all join the club, the lucky club, they call it themselves. I guess that means the lucky genes, eh? And um, uh, then they decide to want to kill off the rest of the planet. And then in their last meeting, uh, Rockefeller said it wasn't good enough that sterilization was going underway, meaning, you know, health for women, by the way, is one of the terms they use for that across the world. They're, they're talking about sterilization uh, through the United Nations and with, in cohort with them, of course. And the, he actually said we'll have to start rapid depopulation. He's talking about culling, folks. It's not bad enough that we're dying off with cancers left and right from all age groups, by the way. It's increasing at a phenomenal rate. It's not fast enough for them because these boys and their offspring who truly believe that they have the right to go on with their offspring being superior, of course, genetically, um, and we're eating up all the resources and we're not needed anymore, you see, to conquer the planet. That's pretty well. We've conquered it all for them. That was part of our job. So they're, they're trying to get us now to start to think more in humanistic terms because uh, they give us humanism to replace all the other religions that they knocked the floor under. And um, as they went down under the floor, uh, out came humanism, secular humanism, which is a religion in itself with its own belief system. Uh, however, it fits in with today's society, which has been made hedonistic, narcissistic, and basically egocentric. Uh, totally divided, of course, because what narcissist can get on with another, 
and everyone's a little actor in their own little bubble of a world where they all believe they're on um, reality television or something, and they have the aid of a te- technology which has been put out for them to encourage that too. You can't believe what people say in the streets now as they're passing by on the phone, or even the topics they pass to each other. You know, it, it's just incredible. Anyway, they're not really in a reality, and they don't mind who hears them. Everything's a reality show to them. But euthanasia, you see, we're the only creature on the planet that has to be uh, convinced through argument and persuasion to allow ourselves to be killed off. We truly are. You know, we, we have been domesticated. That's bad enough. But you know, some even sheep sometimes, you get the occasional sheep that will not go into the pen. Because that sheep has seen something done by the shepherd at some time that what that kind of uh, went against the grain of him being a good shepherd. But it, it's implanted in his brain, and he doesn't want to go in there. We don't even have that sense. We don't even have that. Now, we have to be convinced through indoctrination at school and big scary stories, as I said at the top themselves. I've read the articles from the big boys. We must give them scary stories for them to believe anything. We have to be given scary stories, and uh, we're all going to die stuff if we don't stop uh, pumping out CO2 and all that rot. That's going to fall in by the wayside as we go into this big cooling phase. But anyway, the, the carbon taxes will go ahead. Poverty is to come. A rationing of food will come. That has been on their agenda for over 60 years, by the way. Rationing of food. But they're going ahead now with their euthanasia advertising and signs and all the rest of it. Now, well, they started last year, I think, with abortion ads on TV. And now as pro-euthanasia signs get the go-ahead on billboards, it's a controversial advertisement which supports voluntary euthanasia, will be displayed on the Hume Highway, Yanuga, this is Australia, from next week after it was approved by Billboards Australia. Uh, the Canterbury Bankstown Express reports a debate is understood to have flared over the legality of the ad after Billboards Australia claimed its content could have flouted the New, the New South Wales Crime Act, which forbids the aiding of suicide or attempted suicide. But Greg Barnes, who is acting pro bono for voluntary euthanasia, I'm sure he is, yeah, a campaigner, Philip uh, Nitschke, it's so, cl- so close to, to Nietzsche, isn't it? Uh, isn't it? Uh, so Philip uh, Nitschke's organization, Exit International, argued otherwise and convinced the advertising agency that the billboard referred only to public support of voluntary euthanasia and the government's failure to mirror the sentiment. Public support, apparently, yeah, is really, they're clamoring to be killed. Mm. The billboard also expected to be posted in Melbourne and Brisbane, Brisbane in coming months will read 85% of Australians support voluntary euthanasia. Our government doesn't make them listen. Well, really, you know, how they pick things out there like global warming and CO2 and stuff like that. Same with uh, their statistics they dream up as well. Same thing, but it is the agenda and it's got to get pushed forward. It's got to be. The big boys have said it. Now start pushing, you see. Now, Holland already is put up as the, well, you know, if Holland's been doing it for years, what's wrong with us? Well, if they've been beheading people in, in, in some African country, should we start doing the same thing here? Huh? So you can't use that kind of logic, but they use it all the time. And this article I'll read uh, will tell you, too, about more than just the sign of euthanasia. Back after this.
You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. Hi, folks. We're back, cutting through the matrix, just showing you how the agenda is pushed forward. Remember, too, you might agree on euthanasia, but you see, it's not a matter of agree on euthanasia. What it is, they want government certified doctors to go around uh, and basically condemning people. And when you put this kind of power in the hands of government, you're in big trouble. You're in awfully big trouble. Because, see, governments have their own manifestos to fulfill. And they're deadly serious about population reduction. And they've already found out in Holland, for instance, there's been so many cases of mis, uh, of wrongful euthanasia. They even euthanized a, a nun who definitely did not have it in any written agreement or oral agreement with them to do so. And they've done many cases like this now, and there's a lot of criticism about it. But folk will adapt. Folk adapt to anything. They adapt to bodies hanging on wires as art and stuff like that. And that's how degraded we become. They can only push this kind of stuff through when we're utterly degraded. And as uh, uh, it was uh, Julian Huxley from UNESCO, that wonderful United Nations organization, who said that we'd have to push man off his pedestal as a supreme being on the planet and bring him down to the to the level of the animals. Well, they've done that very, very well with a lot of work, starting about from the 50s, definitely the 60s, and definitely the 70s, right to the present time. They fulfilled all the planks of the Communist Manifesto uh, to bring in this global system. But it says how to die. This is a handout piece, obviously, to this newspaper uh, to to make you. This is how they get you around it. Well, I'm not quite sure. Maybe they're quiet. Maybe they've got an idea, you know. As they put you off guard a little bit. Most folk really don't have their opinions. They're downloaded by them. It says how to die becoming as important a question as how to live. So it's a handout. I don't see any any writer here, any writer's name. Opinions are divided on whether euthanasia can be a rational choice. Bob Brum's post-election call for a conscience vote on the territory's right to pass euthanasia laws has been criticised for being a stra- distraction from issues that really matter to the average Canadian or, or Australian. It could be anywhere, mind you, couldn't it? But such criticism misses the likelihood that the 21st century may well be the one where how to die becomes as important a question as how to live. Advances in medical care have transformed our relationship to dying. Medical technology will continue to blur what we mean by death and its relation to our lives. Foreshadowed by the extraordinary cases such as, then they always bring this one up, the American case, the 41-year-old American Terry Shivo, who was in a vegetative state, they say, even though she could gesture and communicate and all the rest of it, they call it vegetative. Sounds better that way when you talk about euthanasia. For more than 15 years, a prolonged legal and political battle eventually led to the stopping of tube feeding in 2005 and her death. Now, people around her, and they came out in lots of uh, stations who had talked with her, been in, in to see her, uh, said that she didn't want to die. But it was, a, it was a judge's decision who put it through, and they killed her. That's what happens when you put it in the, in the, the hands of the authorities. This is a much less publicized case was played out in Australia in 2003. The New South Wales Supreme Court ruled that treatment could be withdrawn from Isaac. Again, too, it's interesting how Terry Shavo, it's so close to Shaver. Shaver was the, or Shiver was, um, the old name for, for a sin eater. 
in the, the Middle Ages where they couldn't find a priest to give last rites. They had the, the sin eater, and they called him a shivo or shaver. And here's this one in Australia where he's called Isaac Messiah. Can you believe it? Where did they find You know, I'm saying this is not coincidence they find these characters. This means a lot to the big boys with their occult languages and stuff. Why wouldn't they wait for someone else to come along with a different name, you know, Joe Smith or something? Anyway, it says, uh, a 75-year-old man whose life uh, was supported by ventilation and tube feeding after he suffered severe brain damage from a stroke. And it was a, it's a difficult decision to have in a society that has so little exposure to death and dying in comparison with previous generations. That was part of the tactic, by the way, was to sterilize, uh, not, the whole, not just all of us, but actually sterilize the emotion or, or, or the interaction uh, between the, the, those who were getting old and those who were dying. They're, they're, they're whisked off to a hospital. And um, the next thing you know, they're, they're in uh, all dressed up in their best clothes in a morgue somewhere or a, uh, the exit place where they put you up the chimney. And um, and, and obviously you've never looked better, by the way, after they put all their makeup and stuff on you. But, I mean, it's all to make it look hygienic and nice and clean. That's, people used to take care of their own as they were dying and gave the youngsters as a, at a very young age a, an appreciation for life. And they were far kinder to each other because they realized that anyone that they loved could die at any time. They might die at any time. It made them think completely differently. So now the government's taken all that thought out of your head and um, you're, you're basically getting trained to, that the government will come round when you're a certain age and say, um, you know, we think you, we've, our committee has decided, you know, you're consuming all this stuff and you're not contributing anything to society. And technically, you're a useless eater, and you do have that bad case of bronchitis. Uh, we think we should just euthanize you. How about that? And um, they'll bring in, of course, facilitators to really con you and see it in a completely different way until you'll be agreeing with them, just like um, Winston uh, agreed with his torture uh, and to, to, to everything that the torture eventually said. It is taught to love him and love Big Brother. Whatever, whatever. Yeah. So it's a good PR piece of how they do it. And um, the plan, remember, is, is to stop helping people in hospitals. Uh, the plan is going the other way. Uh, we have to have a, a minimal care, hospital care across the world globally. That's part of the agenda. It's being implemented shortly to be started in the U.S. based on the British model that's pretty well halved its services in the last few years. Uh, it was an already in a mess already before they halved it. But that's what the U.S. has get brought down to as well. If you notice, not a single cure has been brought out for anything. Everything stopped with antibiotics. Outside antibiotics, there was the greatest breakthrough. We haven't had a cure on anything. Billions of dollars in funds going to cancer research and all the rest of it. Meanwhile, they know what causes cancer because they admit their warfare departments work with viruses that cause cancers. They can build whole bodies and, and clone things in tanks. Any part of your body too, but they just don't know how the cancer cell can be killed. Utter rot. No, that, you won't see that, that for you. You'll never see the, what they do have for you, not at your level, but they do have the stuff at the top. Population uh, reduction is the agenda. As I said earlier on, what Rockefeller said at one of the last big meetings with his big club and he said, it's not enough that the people are becoming sterilized and so on. And we're, we're, we've got these uh, family planning or abortion clinics across the world. We've got to start um, 
rapid population reduction. That's what he said. And it will come. When it comes, you'll know, you will know about it then. They'll give you great, great excuses for it. Most people will believe it too. Why the shortage is coming. They'll believe whatever they're told. As you all go down the tubes. Now, <laughs> how can you fight a system where the, the same guys own your economy, they own your central banks, they own the international banks, they own many, actually, they actually own many of the international corporations, if not most of them or all of them. They own your entire system. They make sure that people are in place to even keep your entire system in place and to upgrade the system as well. They own your educational systems. They write your history books. They make sure the right authors are selected from within their own ranks. They give you your whole reality. And they can put your money up in value or down in value at a whim. People you'll never meet. Most of them you'll never know their names. Across the world somewhere can just devalue your currency. No one invests anymore and bang, down you go. We've seen that before happen with, started with Iceland was a big one, then Greece, and then they were hitting Spain as well. Well, here's Ireland, and they've hit old Ireland here. Fitch downgrades Ireland. This is the, this is the ones who grade them. Uh, the outlook is now negative. Bank recapitalization costs contribute to move, uh, agencies says. And this is from London Market Watch. Fitch ratings on Wednesday cut Ireland's credit rating, citing the rising cost of bailing out the nation's, the nation's banking sector. <laughs> They've got the banks. Bailing out the banking sector, sector caused it. And warned that a further downgrade may be in the offing if the economy fails to bounce back. Well, how's it going to bounce back? Who's, how's it going to bounce back when no one's going to invest in it? It says Fitch cut the Irish government's credit rating to, from A uh, uh, to A from, uh, or they mean two double A negative. So from A to double A negative. And said the outlook on the rating is negative. A negative outlook implies there is more than a 50% chance of a further downgrade in the next 12 to 24 months, the agency said. Now as soon as the, the stock market hears that, if that's it, you know, that's Ireland, they turn their backs on them. This is a downgrade of Ireland reflects exceptional and greater than expected fiscal costs associated with the government's um, recapitalization of the Irish banks. So the banks plunder you and, and then, then you bail the banks out and then the whole country, the taxpayers who, who reimbursed all the banks, paid them all, get stiffed. Hmm? Especially uh, uh, Anglo-Irish Bank, said Chris Price, the director of Fitch's sovereign group. Uh, the negative outlook reflects uncertainty regarding the timing and strength of economic recovery and medium-term fiscal consolidation effort, he said. And then they're going about the foreign exchanges, etc., etc., and what the currency is doing and how it's slowing down and blah, blah, blah. In America, too, by the way, in the U.S., they're talking about uh, vastly increasing, increasing inflation. At least they called it inflation in the U.S. In Britain, it's called quantitative easing. I thought that was something that guys who were big and fat and wore 5,000 pound suits and who run our lives do when they're, they're sort of fidgeting around in their, their seats after they've drunk their brandy after their big meal, you know, it was kind of a, a bit gassy, gassy as you might call it. I thought that was quantitative easing. Anyway, to try to push themselves a little bit off their chair. But that's what's happening. The whole world is going under the same 
agenda. It's in the same agenda. You're under the same rules very quickly and being brought down one country at a time. And out of, of all will come, oh, we've got to go completely international now uh, to save ourselves. The last vestige of sovereignty must be tossed out the window. And we, we're all in it together, you see. And we've got to all work together. Meanwhile, I'm sure Ireland and Britain, and like Canada and the States and all these other countries, under this new law of redistribution of wealth, are still flogging out their tax money across the planet by the billions. Even China, we're building health centers in China. They're still classed as a third world country, even though they are the manufacturer for the planet. And folk think this all happens by itself. Even China didn't pull itself up by its bootstraps by itself. It was created to do so by the same guys that gave you World War II, one and two, and the Soviet era. They also created a communist China. Facebook, Facebook, Facebook. After his, his, his terrible um, slagging that it got because of his founder. Uh, of, of what he said about the, the, the stupid uh, foxes, I think it was fox or something. He said uh, that all these people who were uh, putting their information up on, on his, his pages and he was selling all their info off, he called them stupid foxes or something, something to that effect. It, it rhymes, funnily enough, too, with his name. But anyway, uh, it's, this, this says here, um, Facebook has introduced a new feature. This is a PR piece, you see. He must have paid a lot of money for it by the BBC. It's introduced new features aimed at giving users more control over their information and who can see it. Oh, yeah, sure, like the NSA. It says the biggest change will allow users to map their offline line or life to the online world through small groups. So encouraging the small group idea. Users will also be able to download all the data they've been upload, they've uploaded onto the site. And it says uh, they will also find it easier to see how individual applications are, are using personal information and Facebook's chief executive, Mark Zuckerberg. Zuckerberg, is it? That's awful like the word that you use, I think. Anyway, it says the changes today are about giving people more control, or did you say the silly, you know what I mean, over the silly um, foxes, uh, more control over how they share in a lot of different contexts, Mr. Zuckerberg uh, told BBC News. So it's out to help people now, you see. It must really help you all after being suckers, you know. And I'm sure they'll go back into it and have lots of new little programs they can use and amuse themselves with, and that's all it really takes. It says, groups will change behavior. As it says, Augie or Augie Ray, a senior analyst with research firm Forrester, told BBC News, it's possible that people will join Facebook because they will feel they can control who sees information. I'm a very open person and blast everything I see on Twitter or Facebook, but now something like this will allow people to think more deeply about who will see what they say and will increase engagement. These are the, these are the companies, by the way, that get, that get sold your information. Uh, and they do all these studies on you along with the RAND Corporation on your groups and your chatter and your forums and all the rest of it. And they have all personality profiles of everybody out there. That's what they use all these things for, that you pay for, by the way. So you can, you know, talk to your friends. <laughs> in a society that's rotten uh, to the core when all morality has been stripped away, it, it doesn't surprise me when in society, for instance, you bring in priests from today's society, novice priests, 
and they wonder why they have all this pedophilia happening. It's because the whole society is rotten that they're pulling, taking the pool from. And the FBI here says um, their employees were reportedly cheating on security tests. And um, there's quite a good article on it too. It says, uh, a tour sign stands outside the Federal Bureau of Investigation headquarters in Washington, blah, 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 blah. And it says, FBI agents and several supervisors cheated on an exam about new rules and for terrorism and criminal investigations and for collecting foreign intelligence, according to a U.S. Justice Department report released on Monday. The report by Inspector General Glenn Fines uh, found that some FBI employees improperly con- consulted with others while taking the exam and others used or distributed answer sheets or study guides that essentially provided the answers to the test. A few FBI employees, including several supervisors and a legal advisor, exploited a programming flaw to reveal the answers on their computers, according to the investigation into four FBI offices around the country and several individuals. The report uh, found significant abuses of cheating involving at least 22 employees. It marked the latest critical report of the Federal Law Enforcement Agency by the, the Inspector General's office, which has questioned the past where the FBI has violated civil liberties as part of its terrorism investigations. So, of course everybody's corrupt. That, that, that's where they pull their society from, the general population. They've all been corrupted by the system they grew up in. All they've been fed is video games, go out and kill slaughter, strong man wins, and uh, right of might is all that, that, that wins in the end. Right of might. Power. The sly guy, all the, all the good guys nowadays, you, don't, you, don't, you can't tell the difference from the bad guys in the movies. Same language. They're always swearing, you know, beating folk up. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, we're back and we're cutting through the matrix. Part of the idea too of bringing us all down towards this, this part, the ending of this part, part two, three, four, or five, where we're in right now, who knows, is to control all food and water supplies. And they've been doing that for years now. And once they're in control, they start taking water away from the farmers, putting them down, and once they're all out of business and they sell up for peanuts, because the land then is literally worthless without water, uh, then the big boys move in, the big agribusinesses, because the United Nations has said in the past uh, that eventually they will control all food across the world and they will dish out, they'll dole out the food rations to every region, they called it, to help bring down your populations. You'll still be in, uh, given the decision of who should live and who should die. And uh, this is coming. This is coming as the big five agribusinesses, which I really think are already one at the top, and the water companies come together. And uh, there's only two or three water companies now owning, going for the whole world's water supply. Here's what they do. This is from Australia. This is the, Mur- the Murray-Darling cuts could spark riots. So they're starting in Australia, you see. Um, there are warnings days of this long-awaited Murray-Darling plan, and it could spark riots in the streets of regional towns, which could be hard hit by expected cuts to irrigation entitlements. The draft plan, which we released this afternoon, is expected to recommend overall cuts to irrigations allocations of between 27 and 37 percent. 
Irrigators in the New South Wales town of Griffith say significant irrigation cuts could lead to civil unrest, wreaking havoc across regional Australia and sending food prices soaring. Well, that'll fit right in with the agenda. The, the Murrumbidgee is high on the list of valleys to be hit hard by water cuts. And it says um, these are going to cost mass, massive unemployment. The whole area lives off agriculture. And guess what they're going to do with, with the water they're going to save? They're putting it into the wetlands, you know, for the froggies and things and tadpoles. And uh, This is the big sustainability project, you see. All time together. Take away from the farmers who feed people and have jobs and so on and put them under by taking their water away from them, divert it away from them. Deliberate. It says it'll be in agricultural jobs. There are probably about 7,000 jobs lost, and that will translate to about a billion dollars a year just in agricultural business value. 7,000 jobs. How many families, eh? And I guess we'll have to move off into the big overcrowded cities as they get more and more overcrowded. The slum ones, that is, not the super cities that they're building for the elite. And... Um, Gradually over the years they'll die down, you see, into a more manageable population and you'll have the elite coming through with their massive estates and water fountains, of course, and all their little naked statues with water pouring out of different orifices that they love so much and cherish dearly. So that's what's happening in the world. See, we're all just slime at the bottom. We've always been slime to those at the top. Always. Always. Can't believe that people don't really believe there's such a thing as a sort of class distinction, especially the hereditary class distinction. Can't believe that. They've done such a great propaganda campaign to make you think everyone's the same. Everybody's the same, especially in America. You, 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 you get presents in America that pretend they're from Texas and try to copy the accent to make you think they're one of you. I can remember Carter, who said he was a simple peanut farmer. Oh, God almighty. And who backs him? Well, Mr. Rockefeller put him in. And he still works on yet for this global agenda. They've always been globalists. Bush, Obama, the lot. From Hamish, myself, in Ontario, Canada, it's good night to me. Your God or your gods go with you. <laughs>